we are in a series simply entitled, Who Are You? Who are you? If you're going to build a relationship with God as that relationship builds and grows, you're always wondering, God, who are you? What are you? What role do you want to play in my life? Or at least those should be questions that we have. And what we're finding in God's Word the last two Sundays and then concluding the series today, this third week, we've looked at three compound names of God from the Old Testament that tells us who God is. There are a number of occasions in the Old Testament when God said, I am, and then he would use Jehovah dash another name to tell us who he was. Well, we know what Jehovah means. Jehovah refers to the self-existent God, the God who always was, who is, who always will be, who doesn't need anybody to support him, anybody to feed him, anybody to take care of him. He always was, he always will be. He's the self-existent God, but Jehovah also means the God who reveals himself to us. Not just one time, but at different times. In different ways, he reveals himself to us, which shows us his nature. So we've already looked at six of the names of God. I want to continue today. Psalms 23, we're going to look at the last three compound names of God in this series. Look at, at Psalms 23, verse 1. Probably the most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible, or at least the most well-known passage of scripture is psalms 23 it talks about the shepherd but i want you to notice the words today and i want to walk through this psalm i want to comment as we go and then i'll make some final comments about the lord our shepherd so look at it if you would psalms 23 verse 1 the lord is my shepherd you can pause there for just a moment the lord is my shepherd in the original writings what it says here is Jehovah Raw. Jehovah Raw. Jehovah Raw. That's all it says. Jehovah Raw. Jehovah the shepherd. Jehovah the shepherd. The psalmist said, David said, God, the Lord, is a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd. I want to encourage you this morning as I start this final message in this series to stop and realize that God wants to be a shepherd in your life. God wants to be a shepherd in your life. And, and because of the way most of us have been raised, we don't know much about sheep or about shepherds. How many like lamb chops? That's about all I know about sheep. I like lamb chops, okay? If they're cooked right, I really enjoy them. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know a whole lot. I like lamb shanks in beans that, that's really good too if you've not had that ask my wife she'd be glad to fix it for you some night and bring it over to your house <laughs> she's thinking about it she's thinking about that anyway the psalmist said the lord is my shepherd well that doesn't mean a lot to us except that he tells us a little bit about the role of the shepherd working with the sheep and the rest of verse one says this the lord is my shepherd i shall not Want And leave that verse up for just a moment because literally what he's saying is Jehovah Ra, the Lord, the shepherd, I will not lack. That's what he says. Now, this is the Old Testament. See, I got to remind everybody that in the New Testament, we now have a better covenant because of Jesus Christ than what they had in the Old Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, we see God's nature revealed. And here, one of the names of the Lord is Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, the shepherd. And the first thing the psalmist says about it is when the shepherd, or when the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to worry about lack. 
In other words, he will be a provider for your life. Now, I'll touch on this more later. So let's move forward. Verse number two. Number two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He not only provides, but he leads to the right places and to better places. How many of you would like God to lead you to better places? Then you need to learn to follow the voice of the shepherd. See, the thing about it is, now I don't know for a fact, and I don't want anybody to get offended at me, but I've heard that sheep are dumb. Have you ever heard that before? I don't know it for a fact. I don't know. They taste good, but I don't know. I don't know if they're dumb or not. But they say sheep aren't real smart. And it's interesting that the psalmist would say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, you know, sometimes you're not real smart. Like sheep. See, smart sheep will follow the voice of the shepherd. Why? Because he leads us to better places. Let me tell you something. Some of you sitting here today are concerned about your future. You've got decisions to make. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You're concerned about five years, ten years down the road. Let me just tell you today, get behind the shepherd and follow him. He'll lead you to the right places. Then look at verse 3. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love this verse. I taught on this verse four or five years ago here at the bridge. But let me just refer to it real quickly. He restores my soul. He revives me. Anybody here ever get weary? Did you ever get a little tired? Have you ever got to the end of your road where you've exhausted yourself trying to make things happen? The shepherd says, or or the psalmist says, the Lord is our shepherd and the shepherd will revive us. He will restore us. He'll bring back our strength. Isaiah talked about this. He said, they that wait upon the Lord, which means to tie yourself around his word and his promises. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hey, if you're weary, get close to the shepherd. He'll lead you to a place of reviving, restoration. But then it says, after he revives us, put that verse back up there for a second. After he revives us, what does he do? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, sometimes we get so weary because we've been trying to do things ourselves, running our own way, running our own pathway. But once we surrender to the shepherd, he restores us, he revives us, and then he leads us in the right path. Then look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this verse, it says that the shepherd will protect us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he will protect us. And he said, when you get to that place where you feel like you are defenseless, don't lean on your own strength, lean on the Lord. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. See, you're seeing a picture here that's drawn by the shepherd as he lays this out. And he says, look, I'll be there for you. But you need to learn to follow me. I'll be there for you. But I have a voice and you need to hear my voice and understand what I'm saying to you. I will even be there when you're weak and defenseless to fight your battles. And we talked about the Lord of hosts last week, the Lord of armies. He said, I will fight your battles for you, but you've got to trust me and lean on me and let me fight for you. He says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over 
even when we're surrounded by opposition and problems and challenges, the Lord is there. It's interesting. He says, you, you anoint my head with oil. I mean, not only do you provide for me in the face of battle and challenge, but you anoint my head with oil. And I think there are a couple of things here that are really important about this. To anoint one's head with oil, it speaks in the Old Testament and even the New Testament about pouring God's oil of purpose upon our lives. He pours purpose upon our lives so we have a reason to live and a reason to follow him. And we know it's not just about sweet by and by eternity. It's about right here, right now. God has purpose for my life and he pours that oil of purpose upon me. But also it was very common in, in the psalmist days for the shepherd to pull the sheep aside because of infection because of parasites because of sickness and disease and examine those sheep and upon their heads where they might find parasites and, and different insects attacking them he would pour an oil and a salve and rub it in and, and make sure that healing would come to that sheep so he could stay healthy let me tell you something even in times of sickness the shepherd will be your healer he'll pour he'll pour his oil upon your head and then finally verse six Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sixth thing is, the shepherd sees the future. And his plans are to have mercy and goodness follow me. All the days. Everybody say, all the days. All the days. All the days, all the days of my life, not just yesterday, not just today, not just on the 15th and the 30th, every day of my life, goodness and mercy will follow me. Does anybody in the house have any concerns about the future? Good. We got one who doesn't, so I'm going to assume everybody else has got some checks. Let me tell you something. When you get concerned about the future, look over your shoulder. If the shepherd's leading you, goodness and mercy are behind you. They'll follow you. They'll follow you. Some of you are looking over the shoulder looking for the enemy. Quit looking for the enemy. Look over your shoulder and realize goodness and mercy are behind you. They're standing between you and the enemy. The shepherd will lead us. He sees the future. Now, having said all of that, Psalms 95, the psalmist also said this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's a call to worship. But he says this in verse 7, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. We have a God who wants to be our shepherd. We need to learn to follow him like obedient sheep. Because he wants to lead our lives. John 10, 11, Jesus said that I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will lay down his life for the flock. Did you know God's concerned about what's going on in your life today? Did you know God is willing to pay something to help you out? Some of you say, well, I can't even call my relatives and my family. I can't even call my in-laws when I get in trouble. No, but you can call on the Lord. You can count on him. You can count. Boy, I, that, that really struck a chord. I don't know if it was the family or the in-laws part, but something really hit home there. <laughs> I probably should have said in-laws first, you know, make, make it clear. But Jesus, the good shepherd, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 2 says, he's not only the great shepherd, he's the overseer of our souls. He's the overseer of our well-being, even our mental, emotional health. He wants to see over that. He wants to watch over it. But you know, I think the greatest part of 23rd Psalms is in verse 1, 
when it says the Lord he's my shepherd he's my shepherd he wants it to be personal too many of us put God out there in the unknown somewhere floating around out there you know with Star Trek and and Star Wars and while God's out there no no he's your shepherd he's right here he's right here he wants it to be personal every day of your life he wants you to be in the understanding and the knowledge and the awareness that he's the shepherd and he's close by the Lord is my shepherd say that my shepherd he's my shepherd make it personal he's not just the shepherd he's not just the great shepherd he is my shepherd if you read through psalms 123 as i counted it 12 times the psalmist talked about the lord and 16 times he talked about himself now what does that tell you that tells us that the lord is probably more concerned about us than we are about him the lord is my shepherd let the Lord be Jehovah Rawa. Let him be your shepherd. Number two, look at Exodus 15. Exodus 15. This is a, a story, and I'm going to read just a few verses of the story. This is a story where Israel has been delivered from Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea and had this amazing victory. And now they start their journey out through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But look, if you would, at Exodus 15, verse 22. Because I want to show you a short story here. Help you understand what, what God says. Verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. They're looking back in retrospect, and they, they called the place Marah because there was water there, but it was poison water. It was bitter. They couldn't drink it. It would bring sickness and disease upon them. So it's bitter water. They called the place Mara. Look at verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, that's reasonable. Moses, what are we going to do? Three days since we left the Red Sea. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. We got no water. We come to this water hole. You led us to this place, and there's no water. What are we going to do? We're all going to die out here. They begin to grumble and complain at Moses. Verse 25. So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Notice that. There he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight... Give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. And notice the last of verse 26. For I am the Lord who heals you. Now there's a lot in this story and I wish I had a full Sunday morning to do this today. I don't. I've done it before in the past. I don't have time to do it this morning. But let me just give you two or three thoughts out of this passage of Scripture. At the end of this passage, verse 26, 
The Lord reveals himself to Moses and says, you want to know who I am? I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. In the middle of all this story, people can get lost here. They can get lost there. They can forget about this. They can forget about that. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. But before we even begin to walk through it, we need to understand the heart of God and the intentions of God for his people. The Lord wants to be our healer. Come on, y'all got to help me or I'm going to get on there and amen myself here in a minute, okay? And, and it's interesting what he says about this. Because he's talking to a bunch of slaves who've grown up in the bondage of Egypt. They've seen all these plagues come upon Egypt, but none of the plagues affected them, only the Egyptians. They've been delivered after the Passover lamb, and they saw the firstborn in every house of Egypt die in judgment, yet they were protected. They've just come through the Red Sea in this unbelievable thing where God parted the waters and then wiped out the armies of Pharaoh with the same waters. Now they're three days away and they've already forgotten about the greatness of God. And they begin to gripe at Moses and complain. The Lord says to them, look, you need to understand something about my nature. My nature and my intentions for you are good. Every believer needs to understand not just God's nature, but his intentions for you. They are good. One of the things I will fight to the death till I have my last breath in this house, we are never going to be a church that teaches that God is bad and he's going to beat you up and make you sick and poor and ugly and all this stuff so that you can just some way, somehow get into heaven. Because that's not the word of God. You can believe that if you want to, and you can live that if you want to, but it's not God's Word. I'm not just stepping on the devil's toes. I'm stepping on somebody else's toes this morning. God's nature is good. I, I want a few more over. Let me try it one more time. God's nature is good. And God's plans for you are... you, you got to do this with me. God's plans for me are... That's what God's saying to his people. He said, look at what happened back in Egypt. Remember all those plagues? Remember how I put one thing after another trying to show them that I am God and they would not listen to me? Pharaoh kept hardening his heart because he had other gods and he thought he could overcome me. He said, look back there and learn a lesson. I judged them because of their sin and their unbelief, but that's not my intention for you. My intention for you is to bless you and to be your healer. Now, that's the contrast. When you're over there, you're subject to all the disease that the enemy wants to put on you. When you get over here, my plan is to bring health into your life. Now, let me go a little bit further with this. I think I have just enough time to do that. If I don't, we'll make up some time, okay? What happened to the Egyptians... Because of their sin and their unbelief, God says, that's not for you. Some of you today need to quit expecting things to be put on your life that you deserved back then that you don't deserve any longer today. 
Why? Because God now sees you as he sees Jesus. Remember we've been teaching this? The Lord our righteousness, the Lord our sanctification, the Lord our peace. We are now in this place because of Jesus. He sees us as he sees Jesus. And do you think God put sickness and disease on Jesus to teach him lessons? Of course not. Can't find it in Scripture. Do you think God wants to do that to you? No. The Lord says, that's for those who live over there in that realm. But when you come to me, my heart, my desire is to bring health, healing, and wholeness into your life. That's my plan for you. Now, there's one more part of this i got to show you. Because Moses comes with this water, and when they start drinking the water, it's, ooh, ooh, it's bad, it's poison. People start getting sick. Moses says, God, what am I going to do? They're upset. They're, 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 now listen close. They're bitter at you. The waters are bitter. And God, they're getting bitter at me, and they're getting bitter at you. There are going to be times in life when you run into situations where there are bitter waters. It's going to happen. So what do you do? Moses said, God, what do I do? And he said, you see that tree? Cut that tree down and throw it in the waters. And Moses has them cut down the tree, throws a tree in the waters, and suddenly the waters are made sweet. In the New Testament, on a couple of occasions, one is in the book of Acts where Peter's preaching a message. The cross is referred to as a tree. And if you take the symbolism and play it out into the New Testament, what the Lord says is when you run into situations where there's bitterness, where stuff's going on, you start getting angry at people, you start getting angry at God, this is happening, that's happening, you need to go back to the cross and pull the cross into the waters because the cross makes everything all right. Now listen to me. People may do you wrong. People may offend you intentionally. People may hurt you intentionally. They may beat you up in a thousand different ways. But that can't hurt you unless you allow bitterness to settle in your hearts towards people and towards God. And God said, you want to get free of that bitterness? Pull the cross into it. What's that got to do with it? Here's what it's got to do with it. Once the cross comes into your life, you realize you owed a debt you could never repay, and God, by grace, forgave it all when you believed in Jesus. And then he turns to you and says, now, you need to be willing to forgive other people when they do you wrong. Hey, I'm I'm not telling you anything new, but I want you to hear this. It's been proven for many, many years now, many, many of the root causes of many diseases, let me rephrase it, the root cause of many diseases is a chemical imbalance in the system, in the stomach, starting there, that's caused by bitterness. You wonder why so many people are sick? It's because they carry bitterness. You don't want to be mad at God. You don't want to be mad at your children. You don't even want to be mad at your spouse. Some of you say, well, what happens when you say this stuff in church? Does your wife ever talk to you? Oh, yeah, she talks to me. We have wonderful conversations. <laughs> and sometimes she even corrects me when I need to be corrected. And I do sometimes. But I say that lightly because here's the point. You don't want to carry bitterness towards your spouse. You don't want to carry bitterness towards your children. You don't want to carry bitterness towards anybody. You know why? Because you're not hurting them. All you're doing is poisoning yourself, drinking the bad water. You can get mad at God, but you're not going to make God sick. He's not even going to lose any sleep over it. He doesn't sleep anyway. 
Think about this. Come on, smile at me, everybody. All you're doing is poisoning yourself, killing yourself. And all you're going to do is pass it on to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, and you create more turmoil and more imbalance generation to generation to generation. See, that's why in the Old Testament, the Lord said the sins of the fathers are passed on for several generations. You know why that is? It's because it develops habits in our lives that are created by sin that we never get to the cross and never get it healed. And as a result, we just pass it on and pat well, That's just how we are. That's just how the Martins are. The Martins are just that way. Martins, that's it. No, it's not how they are. That's your sinful nature. That's a result of bitterness. And you need to take it to the cross and let God heal it. Otherwise, we're going to bring sickness and disease into our lives. And that's good. Good preaching. Amen. You're doing good up there, man. Keep it up. See, the Lord promised to be our healer. It's interesting. The psalmist... Psalms 103, everybody knows Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He heals all of our, or he he forgives all of our iniquities, and he heals all our diseases. That's the psalmist. That's, That's thousands of years ago. That's hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. He heals Oh, I like that. Who said all? Who said that first? Chris, let her go. He heals all of our diseases. Well, he might heal a migraine, but I don't know about cancer. We well, might do cancer, but I don't know about a migraine. Oh, I stubbed my toe. What about this one, that toenail? We got my half fungus under there. I don't know about that one. He heals all our diseases. I know, you're being silly. Yeah, just for a moment, but I want to make a point here. The psalmist said, bless the Lord. He not only forgives our sins, he heals our diseases. That's what he said. i got to move on, move fast. Isaiah 53, Isaiah foresaw the cross. He foresaw the crucifixion in Isaiah 53, the first, well, the whole chapter, really. But verse number 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I'm, I'm not going to argue with people. I, I, if you've been around here very long, I will not argue with you about the Bible. I'll tell you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what I believe about it. And it, it, there's no profit in any of us arguing about this. But I'm going to tell you something. If you go back and look for the roots of healing and you want to know where New Testament healing comes from, it comes from the cross. The same place your forgiveness comes from. Isaiah 53 puts it there. As a matter of fact, God wanted us to make sure we didn't miss it. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter wrote the very same words. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. See, Old Testament says, by his stripes we are healed, New Testament, by his stripes we were healed. It's a done deal. It's already been paid for. Your healing was paid for in the atonement. If you don't want to believe that and you don't want to try to access it, that's on you. But healing was paid for on the cross, and we need to believe God to be our healer. Amen. All my life, i got to really move fast. All my life, wait a minute, let me see here. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Did you hear that? I'm in agreement with him. Two or three agree, it shall be done. I'm going to take my time. 
All my life, I, I've been raised in an atmosphere where I was just told from the time I was a kid, the Lord be our healer, the Lord will be our healer, the Lord be our... It had been passed on for a couple generations, that's why. I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But I remember when I was about 9, 10 years old, from the time I was in school, I had trouble with tonsillitis and sore throats and strep throat. Every year, every six months, man, I was battling this stuff. It was, it was a weakness in my body. I was fighting this stuff time and again. I remember we had moved to Northern California. We were in a very difficult season of our lives financially. It was tough for my parents at the time. I remember I came down with some kind of throat infection, and I got a high, high fever, and I had it for two or three days, and it just kept spiking, getting higher. I remember laying in the bed, just lifeless, didn't want to get out of bed. My throat hurt so bad. My, I mean, I was having crazy dreams because my, my fever was so high. And it was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? My mom comes from a very godly family in, in many respects, a, many, a very faith-filled family. She called two of her uncles who were in the area visiting at the time. And they came over to the house, and they, she called them in my room. These are just... Believers, they're just everyday Christians. Called him in the room and said, Gary is so sick, he's had this fever for three or four days and it just keeps getting higher. He's almost getting delirious. We got to pray. Isn't it funny how long we wait to pray? Well, two uncles came in that room and man, they started calling on God and it was like Jesus came down in the room. Within half an hour, my fever had broken and the symptoms began to go away. The next morning, I was healed and whole in Jesus' name. See, yeah. uh, let, me, let me finish. I learned young in life. There's someone who wants to heal us of all our diseases if we'll just believe him and trust him. I've walked that out through the years. I still be, continue to battle that tonsil thing. I remember I just got out of high school. I was heading back on a trip, going back to visit some of my family. Driving cross country, I've got this horrible sore throat. Man, my throat's all swollen. I'm achy. I got fever, chill, fever, chill. Back. And I just started praying. I said, God, I am sick and tired of fighting this thing. Whatever it is the devil's trying to put on me, I'm not going to deal with this any longer. I began to call in the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. By the next morning, the fever was gone, the swelling was gone, the tonsillitis was gone. God proved again he wants to be my healer. Now, that might be nothing to you, but when you're 17, 18 years of age and you learn the Lord is our healer, it builds a platform for the rest of your life. The Lord said, I will be your healer. Trust me and let me heal you. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's just so much teaching on this. Well, let me give you the final word on it, okay? James chapter 5. This is what James wrote to the church. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's pretty clear. Some people say, well, why do you have those prayer teams after service? That's why right there. I mean, I'm not going to go down with those people pray for me. If you want to let your pride keep you away, that's fine. If you want healing, come on down and let them pray the prayer of faith and believe the Lord and the Lord will heal you and raise you up. Why? Because that's the Word of God. It's not my words. From Old Testament to New, it all ties together. Number three, got to move on and finish this quickly. Look at Genesis 22. And if I've offended you today, please forgive me, unless I told you the truth and offended you. Then you got to go figure it out and work it out, okay? <laughs> Genesis 22, look at verse 9. This is one of the more amazing stories in the Bible. Put yourself... 
in Abraham's place. And let's read verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Literally, Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Yireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I'm going to close this story really quickly because my time's almost gone. But I think this is one of the more gut-wrenching stories in all the Bible. God speaks to Abraham and said, Abraham, I've given you a son. He's your future. Now, remember, God made the promise to Abraham when he was 75. It wasn't fulfilled until he was 100 years old. At 100 years of age, he and Sarah had this son. Now, this son is probably a teenager. The Lord speaks to him and says, all your future is tied up in that boy. Abraham says, yes. All the future promises are coming through that boy. That's right. The Lord says, take him to a mountain of which I will show you. Offer him up as his burnt sacrifice. Abraham gets some of his servants, saddles up donkeys, gets the boy. They go on a journey. Travel about three days. They see the mountain at a distance. God says, go up on top of that mountain. Takes the boy, makes the boy carry the firewood. They're walking up the hill. The boy knows what worship is because he's seen his dad worship his whole life. And he says, Dad, I know we're going to sacrifice, and I got the wood, and you got the flame for the, for the, for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide the lamb. He walks his son to the top of the mountain, builds an altar, lays out the wood, gets it all set up. Then he binds up his son, ties him up for good reason, ties up the boy, and lays him on the altar. And then he pulls out the knife and raises the knife. When he raises the knife, God says, stop. Stop. Now I know you obey me. Now you, you know your trust is in me. They found another sacrifice caught in the brush, brought him out, and the Lord provided the sacrifice for himself that day. Now, New Testament, Paul wrote and said that had he taken his boy's life, he believed God would raise him from the dead. I mean, it's a lot. It's a gut-wrenching story. But here's what comes out of this. When it's all said and done, Abraham calls the place Jehovah Yireh. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. I think there's two things that I want to touch real quickly before I finish. Number one, we struggle with provision. Especially men, because we think it's our job to do it all by ourselves, all on our own, and make everything work. If we don't make everything work, we get embarrassed and shameful and feel bad about things. We like to be our own source and our own provider. And I believe God wants us to do our best to provide. But when we've done our best and we can't provide on our own, the Lord said, I will be your provider. 
Why is it we struggle so much with this? I think number one, because there's an obedience factor. The Lord spoke to Abraham, said, take this three-day journey, take everything up on the mountain, take your son, go up there and offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham obeyed all the way to raising the knife. You know what that is? That's faith. Faith is doing what God told you to do. I think sometimes we struggle because we think, well, I don't deserve this or I don't deserve that. Sometimes we struggle because we know we're not walking where God wants us to walk. Sometimes we do life on our own and we separate from God and we want to be our own source and we get in trouble and say, God, help, where are you? And God said, well, you left me a long time ago. I wanted to be involved in this, but you left me out of it. But then the second part of this, God did not show up until Abraham in faith totally, completely obeyed him and raised the knife. See, I think a lot of us fail to see God's supernatural provision in our lives because when he first speaks to us, we say, okay, God, I believe you and I would do that, but I know you don't really want me to do that, so I'm going to stay right here at home and let you meet my need. Or maybe we take the journey for, for a day and a half and say, eh, I've gone far enough. Or maybe we go three days and say, you know, God, I must have missed you somewhere because I know it's not your will for me to climb that mountain. We make a thousand excuses, and all God is looking for is obedience and faith. Do what I told you to do. Oh, I know it's gut-wrenching. To think I'm going to climb the mountain, build an altar, lay out my son, and raise a knife. That's what God told him to do. At the end of this, God changed it all. Because while, while Abraham's walking up one side of the mountain, God's got a ram walking up the other side of the mountain. When Abraham gets to the top and builds his altar, the ram gets caught in the thicket. You say, well, God, why do I need to walk up this mountain? Because he's, he's, he's bringing your answer up the other side. That's why. On the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. What this literally, listen to this. I'm almost finished. What this literally says is, the Lord sees. The Lord sees. The Lord will see it. Literally, it's what it means in the original writings. The Lord will see it. Does God know what's going on in my life today? Does he know what the needs that I have? Yes, God sees it. Jesus said the Lord knows what you need even before you ask for it. He sees. And he's looking for our obedience and our faith. Am I walking with God? See, here's what happens. We separate, in America especially, we're bad. We separate God's purposes from my money. It's my money and it's my goods, but it's God's purpose. So therefore, I use my money and my goods the way I want to use it. And God says, wait a minute, I have a purpose for you and it ties into your money. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If your heart's over there, your heart's not with me. There's obedience here. There's faith here. And in the middle of this, Abraham climbs this mountain, raises the knife. And when he raises the knife, God says, wait a minute, I got a better idea. Let me tell you what. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And listen to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jehovah Yireh. The Lord our provider, the Lord who sees, wants to be our source. But he needs us to make him 
our source. The original writings, Jehovah, Yireh means Jehovah will see and Jehovah will see to it. He already sees it. When we act in faith, he will see to it. In closing right now, in this series, we've talked about nine names of God. The Lord is our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our peace. He's always there. He is our flag or our banner. He is the Lord of armies. And today, he's our shepherd. He's our healer. And he's our provider. I want to do something. I want to ask you to stand to your feet right now. As we close this series and, and close this message today, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. Maybe one of these names of God answers a need in your life today. I learned years ago when I pray and I set aside time to get alone with God, oftentimes I take the Lord's Prayer as an outline. The Lord's Prayer starts out by saying, the Lord, uh, 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 our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallow means to make holy my name. And oftentimes what I will do is, in my prayer time, when I begin to praise God, I just walk through these compound names of God. I thank you, Father, that you are my righteousness and my sanctification. You're the God who's always there. You are my peace. I walk through these one at a time, and every time I go through these names, I realize all that God wants to be and all he will be in our lives. If we'll just worship him and honor him and follow him as his sheep. Right now, what I want to do at the cl close of this message, if any of these names, God's nature, responds to a need in your life right now, I want you right there where you are to just lift up your head. And if, you, if you're comfortable doing it, just lift your hands and just worship God and say, Father, I thank you that you're my provider or you're my healer or you're my righteousness. Whatever it is, just lift your hands right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you today because you are our righteousness. You are our sanctification. You are our peace. Father, we, we access all of that today by faith as we put our trust in you. Father, we know today that you are the one who will fight our battles. You are our banner. You are the Lord of hosts. We also know you're the God who's always there. You will never forsake us. Even at our darkest, most horrible moment, you are always there. And Father, we honor you today because you are our shepherd. You are our healer. And Father, we, we access healing right now by the stripes of Jesus Christ. We ask you to let healing just flow in this building. Father, I pray right now that you are our provision. You said so. You're Jehovah Yireh. You see and you will see to it. So Father, right now, I just open my heart and my life to you. God, I praise you today. I honor you today. And I believe you will meet my every need. Now just give God praise for a moment. God, I thank you. I praise you. I glorify you. I glorify you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Paul heads are still bowed for one more moment. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never come into relationship with God. God loves you so much, he put his own son on a cross to pay for your sins, to bring you into relationship with him. And all he's looking for is you to say, yes, Lord, I believe, and I want you in my life. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. I'm going to ask everybody in the house to pray it with me. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And just open your heart and ask the Lord to come in. Just wrap your faith around these words. And everybody here, repeat this prayer. Say, Lord, I need you. And I believe in you. 
please come into my life. I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and bring me into your family today. From this day forward, you are my father, and I am your child because of Jesus. Work in my life, teach me your ways, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you've been the prodigal on the run, greatest decision you ever make is to open your life to Jesus Christ. Most important decision in life. We want to help you get started walking with God. That's not the end of the journey. That's just the beginning. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. We want to put it in your hand. It's just simple reading to help you understand how much God loves you and how, how many great plans he's got for your life. It'll help you get started walking with God. We want to give it to you. When service is over, our prayer teams will be at the front of the building. Just walk up to the front and say, can I get one of the booklets? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you want to visit, got questions, you want prayer for something else, they'll help you. If you just want to get the book and go, that's fine. We want to help you start your relationship with God. If you're in a big rush, you can go out to the, the glass doors as you exit the building. There's a table set up there with a sign that says the next seven days. You can stop by there and get the same booklet there. Again, no strings attached. We just want to help you get started today. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family?